We're calling our January series, The Voice. Not the voice on TV that you watch the show, but the voice of, and we're looking at different Psalms through the month of January. Logan got us started last week by looking at Psalm 34, and he looked at the voice of refuge and said, here's someone looking to God, raising his voice to God as God provides protection and refuge for him. Well, this morning, we're gonna continue in this series, but I wanted to mention a couple helpful hints as you look at and as you read the Psalms. The first thing you wanna remember is that Psalms are kind of like journals for the journey. I'm not sure how many of you at journal, um, but Psalms are kind of like spiritual journeys. And so individuals seeking to follow God and answer the question when God asks, so how's your day going? And these people kind of give their answers. And one of the things you discover as you read through Psalms, the answers are uncensored. They're unfiltered. In a sense, sometimes these people let God have it. There's discouragement. There's also elation. There's joy. There's sadness. Everything is in the Psalms. Spiritual journeys that run the gamut of emotion and experience. Now, some of you administrative types may want to say, yeah, well, why don't we organize the Psalms and put all the happy Psalms together and all the sad Psalms together and all the depressing Psalms together? But if you think about it, the order that we have matches life so much better. Is your life organized in happy, sad, depressing, encouraging? No, life is kind of all mixed up. Life is like a blender going a thousand miles an hour. And that's what the Psalms are like. One minute you're on a mountaintop, the next you're in a pit. Life goes on like that, and the Psalms record that for us. You know, another thing you notice in the Psalms that they're poetry. Now, you can be reminded of the poetry because of the weird indentations. We normally indent, if you're writing paragraphs, by indenting the first line a little to the right. Psalms actually indent the other way because Hebrew poetry is not about rhyming, Hebrew poetry is about parallelism, where the second line, or sometimes the third line, is explaining or bouncing off of the first line. So the first line will be left justified, then the second line is indented to show you it goes with the first line. What else does poetry remind us of? Lots of imagery, lots of pictures. It's not literally true to fact, Emotions are creating pictures in people, and those pictures are driving people to write words as they reflect on their journey and their relationship with God. Well, this morning, we're gonna take a look at Psalm 23. And my guess is if I was in your house right now, you would roll your eyes and say, Psalm 23, I know Psalm 23. That's the shepherd thing. I memorized this Psalm as a kid. I know this Psalm. Why are we gonna look at Psalm 23? Well, let me give you a little explanation. A few months ago, I was talking to a friend, and this friend said to me, Charles, I own three or four Psalms. I said, what do you mean you own them? He said, I've reflected on them and lived them and prayed them and cried them so often, they're my Psalms. Well, I thought for a minute, and I realized I don't own any Psalms. But over the next few weeks and even the next couple of months, God really has caused me to own Psalm 23. Now, I confess, 
I would rather own a real obscure psalm that nobody knows about, and you know, I can kind of explain. But for some reason, God has brought me back over and over again these past few months to Psalm 23, to the pictures, to the words. I've read about it. I've thought about it. I've prayed it. I've heard others speak about it. I've been reminded of it. I'm beginning to think that I'm starting to own Psalm 23. Not that I've mastered it, but at least I understand a little bit about how my life is being impacted by the psalm. So if you have your Bibles or you have your phone, your iPad, whatever, follow along and try to stay focused as I read this very familiar and super famous psalm, and then we'll say a few words about it, and then the band will come out and end our service. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I'm just going to look at a couple points here, but I'm not sure if you realize that the first phrase is the whole psalm in a sentence. The Lord is my shepherd. The rest of the psalm just unpacks that one sentence. Everything's there. The Lord is my shepherd. And it's almost as if, you know, David is looking back over his life, examining his experiences, thinking, how can I describe my relationship with God? How can I describe my successes? How can I describe the dark days and the good days? And all of a sudden, his mind goes back to the days when he was a young shepherd boy taking care of sheep, but now he reverses roles. And he says, as I think about my relationship with God, I'm the sheep and God is my shepherd. And that picture becomes the overarching category for the psalm. Now, let me call your attention to a couple of things there. First of all, David calls God the Lord. And if you look at the spelling there closely, understand it's really weird. Do you notice Lord is all caps, L-O-R-D, all caps. That's not a mistake. That's the way the translators help us understand that a specific name for God is being used, and that name is Yahweh, the personal name for God that God gave to Moses at the burning bush. And so when David thinks about God as his shepherd, he says, this is Yahweh. This is the God who is and is completely self-sufficient. The God who is accountable to no one. The God who answers to no one. This self-sufficient God. That's the one I'm talking about. And then almost in breakneck fashion, he calls this supreme God, creator of the universe, my shepherd. Now we're coming off the Christmas season and you probably heard a couple people, even someone from this platform say, you know, shepherds, that's like the lowest occupation or one of the lowest occupations, a little bit below leper. That's where you kind of get shepherd. Interestingly, the Lord, this self-sufficient king of the universe, David says, he is my shepherd 
this awesomely high God, the ultimate God, becomes shepherd, a job that is 24-7, taking care and giving life to others, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm not sure you realize this, but kings were often referred to as shepherds in the ancient world. And that's not because normally kings are going to be very humble and feel like they're on 24-7. I think it's because kings, people in power, are quickly called to live by a sense of entitlement. There I'm easily beginning to think that the citizens live for my benefit and the kingdom is here to kind of serve me. But the old metaphor of shepherd helps the king to keep his feet on the ground and to say, wait a minute, My role is to provide and protect people that are under me. I've got a shepherding, protecting, providing role for others. Where did they get that picture? Because the the ultimate king of the universe works 24-7, providing, protecting, caring for his sheep. But there's one little word I don't want you to miss between Lord and shepherd, and that's the word my You notice David didn't say, the Lord is a shepherd. The Lord is the shepherd. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. That makes all the difference, doesn't it? Suppose you're uh, driving down the street. you got some friends in the car. You're showing them the neighborhood. It makes a big difference for you to say, oh, there's a house. Or for you to say, uh, there's my house. If you're walking down the kid's hallway or you're dropping your kids off at school, it's one thing to say, um, there are the children. It's another thing to say, uh, there's my child. It's one thing to say when you're out uh, in a crowd, wait, there are a bunch of wives here. There are some husbands here. It's completely different to say, uh, there's my wife. There's my husband. You see, the word my means that you're engaged, you're connected, your lives are somehow intertwined and can't be separated. And so David, the king is saying, the Lord, the supreme being, the unaccountable king of the universe is my shepherd providing and caring for, he's my shepherd, not just a shepherd. God is the changeless shepherd. He never changes. As he was David's shepherd, so in Jesus, he can be your shepherd. Is he your shepherd? Are you following? Are your lives intertwined? But that's just the first line of the psalm. The psalm then picks up speed, and I'm not sure you've noticed this before, but the psalm moves from scene to scene to scene. Uh, The psalm isn't a static photograph or an image. The psalm is more like a video. The psalm moves from this scene to that scene to the other scene. And sometimes we so focus on one scene that we miss the movement and the transitions within the scenes. So let me uh, show you the uh, three scenes. The first scene that that we see is a scene of good times in green pastures. Do you notice that? Uh, We love this part of the psalm. Here it goes. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Good times in green pastures. Every one of you watching this 
has experienced some good times in green pastures. Maybe not as many as you would like, but you know what good times in green pastures are. Let me ask you honestly, when you're in the middle of good times in green pastures, do you stop and give thanks to God for leading you there? Or do you somehow attribute those good times in green pastures to your wisdom and your strength and your discipline? David's reminded of the fact that when he's experiencing good times in green pastures, it's God who led him there. It's the shepherd that organized the circumstances, the shepherd that brought him to those pastures, the shepherd that brought him to the water. And we've got to remember, when David wrote this psalm, he was not living in lush, green, fertile Pennsylvania. He's living on a desert. And so it's one thing in Pennsylvania to look and see green grass in the summer or the spring. It's another thing in a, in a desert to realize water is hard to come by, but your good shepherd leads you to water and then leads you to another pasture where you can be nourished. David says, when I'm experiencing good times, green pastures, I recognize that it's God who led me there. Some of you may be experiencing those good times in green pastures right now. I would encourage you, thank God for those things. Recognize it's not your wisdom, it's not your skill, it wasn't your discipline. It's God's grace that brought you to those good times. Now, we wish the psalm would kind of end there, at least many days I do. But the psalm doesn't end in good times in green pastures. Now, I know if you watch him, late night cable at TV at some religious broadcasters, you may think good times and green pastures are all that God has for you. In fact, I was thinking in my office this week, you know what, if it was all about good times and green pastures, I should form Charles Good Times and Green Pastures Ministries. And we could just talk about good times and green pastures, and if you all would send a financial gift, God will assure you of good times and green. But that's not where the psalm ends. That's only scene one. We often focus on that scene, and we love good times in green pastures. Thank God for those. It's not you that got there. God led you there. But that's not where the psalm ends. The psalm moves in a dark and dangerous direction. A dark and dangerous direction. Follow as I read the next couple of uh, verses. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Yeah, we know some about good times and green pastures. And we also all know something about dark and dangerous direction, don't we? We know what it's like to um, get the phone call that we don't want to get whether it's from a doctor or a family member with really bad news. We know what it's like to attend a funeral of a family member, a loved one, or a friend. We know what it's like to have the economy sink. Other people seem to do well, but you're out of work. You know what it's like to have a relationship be severed when you'd love the relationship to be together. You know what it's like to be brokenhearted. You know what it's like to... Put on a good facade that things are going well, but the marriage isn't going well. The family's not going well. Relationship with your parents isn't going well. School's not going well. Work's not good. You know what dark and dangerous paths are like. Now, 
I want to call your attention to something that kind of seems like an oxymoron, and we often don't put it together. Now, notice in verse 4, David says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, right? That's the dark, that's the valley that seems like death. Don't make it lighter than it is. That's heavy. That, David doesn't know if he's coming out of the valley. But if you jump back to verse 3, David says, he guides me along the right paths. Now, there's some debate as to how we're going to understand right paths, but I think the NIV translators get it right. The shepherd, the good shepherd, God who's providing 24-7 caring, God who leads to good pastures and good times, is the same God that now guides in dark and dangerous directions. That's the shepherd that led to the dark, dangerous valley. But we don't like to think about that, do we? Have you ever been lost? You know, whether you're driving in a car or going for a hike, it's very disconcerting and quickly your anxieties can rise. I've had that experience uh, a couple weeks ago. I was right outside Denver for some coaching at the uh, Denver Tech Center. Now, you may have been to that community. It's kind of a new community. Uh, there's lots of businesses there. There's lots of offices. There's townhomes. There's condos. There's hotels. All kind of mixed together in this very high-tech, super efficient community. Well, every day for five days, I had to leave my hotel and make my way to the same office building. And I didn't know where I was going until Friday, my last day there. Here's why. Every road eventually goes every direction. Many of the roads have very similar names. Tech Center Boulevard, Tech Center Parkway, Tech Center Avenue. Then there's Tech Center Place and Tech Center Condos. Everything has similar names. The roads don't go in east, west, north, south directions. They go all over the place. Every day, I would get in the car and say, Siri, I need to get to the Denver Tech Center office bill, and then Siri would lead me there. You know, it's no fun to be lost. The good shepherd, the shepherd from Psalm 23, the shepherd that David's following and saying all these wonderful things about, that shepherd doesn't only lead to good times in green pastures, that shepherd leads us sometimes to dark and dangerous places so that we grow up and our trust grows and we mature and we become wise and strong. All those outcomes happen. You know, I was thinking about God's guidance and how it works. And since we've just come off Christmas, I know for many of you, Christmas is a distant memory. For others of you, you haven't undecorated yet, right? But we're somewhere in that Christmas season. We looked at a few verses on Christmas Eve from Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. Well, uh, I was kind of living in those chapters for a couple of weeks. And I'm not sure you've ever noticed this, but God guides Joseph in the early section of Matthew, in very similar ways that are mentioned in Psalm 23. In fact, a few times I'd scratch my head and say, I wonder if Joseph ever was thinking of Psalm 23 when God was, was taking him through this. Let me give you a few examples. Do you know that God appears, or an angel appears to Joseph and guides him four different times? The first time the angel shows up, now remember, Joseph, before the angel shows up, He's living good times in green pastures, right? 
He's engaged to marry this young beauty from town. He's got his dream set on a great life with his young wife. Everything's great. God shows up and says, oh, Joseph, by the way, your fiance, Mary, is pregnant with somebody else's baby. Well, that's guidance Joseph probably didn't want to hear. And eventually they make it to Bethlehem and they put up with all that. The angel appears again and the news is even worse. Talk about dark and dangerous. God says, hey, Herod's going to try to kill the baby. Take Mary and the baby and go to Egypt. Don't just leave town, leave the country. They go to Egypt. Boy, what kind of guidance is that? Dark and dangerous, right? While he's in Egypt, the angel appears again and says, okay, Joseph, Herod's off the scene now. Go back. He heads back. But another time, the angel comes and says, but don't go to Judah because the king there will also try to harm the baby. Go to Galilee. That doesn't seem like God's leading in good times and green pastures. Kind of sounds like it's dark and dangerous. Look at Joseph's story from our perspective a couple thousand years out. God led Joseph perfectly. We look back and give thanks. And I'm guessing Joseph this morning would look back and smile and say, boy, those dark and dangerous twists and turns in the journey really demonstrate that our shepherd, my shepherd, knew what he's doing. And he knows what he's doing with us as well. Well, the last scene is of a banquet and the best of times. Let me read those verses. David writes, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The shepherd knows how to lead us home. And in the presence of his enemies, there's complete safety and security. The image has shifted. Now it's not shepherd leading sheep. Now it's a host, this kingly host, welcoming David as a guest to this perfectly secure and glorious eternal banquet. That's the destiny. That's the destination. And somehow it's the good times and green pastures and the dark and dangerous direction. But God works it all out to lead us home for his glory, our benefit, and for the common good. God's leading. Are you following? God's calling. Are you listening? You know, I don't want to end without mentioning a Something that we sang about today in almost every song at the beginning of the service. And that is that Jesus is the point and the purpose, right? The lion and the lamb is Jesus' passion story, his sacrifice for us that gives us life. We then exchange our lives to follow. All that kind of fits together. Well, you know what? Psalm 23 is Jesus' song. You ever notice David is a sheep and a shepherd in Psalm 23. He's a sheep, right? And God, the Lord, is his shepherd, but he's king. Jesus is the ultimate sheep and the ultimate shepherd. Remember, he shows up on the banks of the Jordan that day, and what does John the Baptist say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
And if you were to put Jesus into David's position as the author of the psalm, you'd see Jesus saying, Lord, you are my shepherd. And God led to good times and green pastures. And yet God also led Jesus through the darkest of valleys, through Gethsemane, through the cross, but ultimately brings him home through the resurrection and the ascension. Psalm 23 is Jesus' psalm. But Jesus also says in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. Just like David is a sheep and a shepherd, so Jesus is the sheep, the lamb of God, who is offered as a sacrifice so we can be forgiven. And Jesus is the ultimate shepherd who leads us. And there'll be lots of good times in green pastures. Thank God for those. And sometimes he'll lead and you wonder if he knows what he's doing as he leads down dark and dangerous paths. Follow. He knows what he's doing. He guarantees to get us all home to the banquet and to the best times that last forever and ever. Jesus, the Lamb of God, our shepherd, as we put our faith and trust in him and follow closely. Let's pray. Lord, we confess we read a psalm like this, and it's super familiar to us. It's super famous. And because of that, sometimes we just blow over it without thinking about what the words mean and what, and what they're actually saying. Lord, I pray that you would help some of us in this room to own Psalm 23. Maybe that means we're going to read it every day for the next month. Maybe that means we're going to memorize it, we're going to pray it, we're going to sing it. Or maybe it's some other psalm. But Lord, I pray in this month in which we're looking at five psalms, adding our voices to the voice of the psalmist, adding our voice to Jesus' voice. Help us, Lord, to own them, to live them, and to live with you as our shepherd. Jesus, our sheep, our ultimate lamb, and Jesus, the shepherd, whom we follow. We pray in his name. Amen.